Alright, so on the heels of what Luke just shared, um, I'm going to give my message. We're going to be looking at Psalm 119 today. Um, because that's what I'm going through. I've been going through Psalm 119 for the last several days, um, probably a couple weeks at least. Just kind of taking it slowly as I've been trying to do with the rest of the Psalms. And several things have intrigued me about this psalm, one of which I want to talk about today as we get to it is, I was intrigued by what the psalmist faced, this would be the title, what the psalmist faced and how he handled it. And I just really found this thread, for me, very interesting and fascinating because, um, you know, it's easy to give knee-jerk reactions and responses to circumstances and situations that are difficult. And I just, whoever wrote this, I'm just so intrigued by the, by the response of the psalmist as he faced these different things. And I'm going to, when we get to it, pretty much lump it under two headings. Things <coughs> that he faced in relation to himself <coughs> and things that he faced concerning or in relation to his observations. So things that were happening to him personally, but also things that affected him as he took a greater gaze out around him and saw the things that were going on. How did he respond to it? And I, this is, I think, for me, very uh, important and uh, needful because I, I tend to sometimes react in ways that um, uh, I could do better in reacting if I did more of a biblical response, I guess is what I'm saying. In other words, as I things are happening to me personally, how do I respond? Then as I look at the world around me and see it deteriorating, how does it affect me and how do I respond? What's the mindset? How, how, how are we supposed to maneuver through the events of our life in a godly fashion, giving praise to God, and how are we to maneuver through everyday life in the world in which we live, have a right reaction and response to that, and praise God? Um, and, and so that's kind of where I want us to go. Now, but before we get there, uh, last weekend was Yom, Yom Kippurim, right? And, um, you know, I think for me, this, this past one was probably one of the, the more personally blessed and spiritually beneficial because what I tried to do was look at it as, okay, here's the beginning point, Yom Kippurim. And I'm going to look over the past year of my life and see if I've made any pro progression, see if I've failed. How, how have I fared throughout this <coughs> past year in light of how can I approach this next year until the next um, Yom Kippurim? You know, I want to change. I don't want to be going backwards. I don't want to be stagnant. I want to take uh, a review of my life and see if there's a couple things that I could just generally lump this next year under. And so, for me, I, I came up with two things. Uh, under the heading of uh, not to be controlled by. And I, I'm, I'm sharing this with you not so that you can know what I did, but if you haven't done it yet, to just reassess your past life in this last year <clears throat> and then try to come up with, I don't want to use a word, but kind of look at it like New Year's resolution, only these are spiritual New Year's resolutions, and rather than burden yourself down with, I'm going to lose 50 pounds, run 10 miles a day, and I'm going to read 14 chapters of the Bible every day, 
you know, something very basic that would apply to all of your life in all these areas. So for me, and this is why I like the psalm so much, I don't want to be controlled anymore by, although this I still will be, but this is my goal, to work more, to be not controlled by, first of all, outward influences. You know, <coughs> whether the, the external stimuli that, that causes me to react or not react in ways that are not pleasing to God. I don't want to get, I don't want to have outward stimuli that I can gaze upon with my eyes to affect me. I don't want that, whether it's whatever you can think of from TV to everything else or what I hear with my ears. I don't want to be controlled. I don't want my emotions on a roller coaster ride because of the things that are un, lumped under what I'm talking as outward influences, um, whether they're things that if, anyway you, you get what I'm saying so I I don't want to be I want to be controlled less by outward influences and then also uh, um, internal or uh, outward influences and external impulses you know I don't want to be controlled by external things internal things outward impulses uh, internal impulses to learn to be controlled by the spirit of God in the relation to all these things that I face, we face, you face, that are around us every single day. How can I react, respond in more of a, uh, uh, a way that will bring glory to Yeshua, that is more being controlled by the Spirit of God, and is bearing forth fruit in my life and those around me, and, and hopefully uh, eternal fruit in bringing people to salvation. And, and so <clears throat> I don't want to look at Trump as the great hope. Or if he fails, he failed. I don't want to look at the country that I live in as my hope. I don't want to <coughs> look at the Messianic movement and be determined whether I'm happy or sad because now I'm in the Messianic movement or the state of Christianity or the state of my own heart or my mind or my thoughts. How can we deal, how can I deal with and you deal with all these things which throughout every single day set us on paths? that are either going to end up not glorifying God or will glorify God. That will bring glory to Yeshua or not. So that's that, so as I looked over this past year, I could see things in which I was controlled. Uh, and it all starts with a thought, with a gaze of the eye, with something that you let yourself listen to, what you read, what you watch on TV, the news, the programs you watch, all this stuff. It controls us. We are to be filled with the Spirit, controlled by the Spirit, right? All right, so. And that, that, that came, those thoughts also came out of what I want to speak on in, in Psalm 119 about what the psalmist faced and how he dealt with it. And it's pretty much the same thing. What, <coughs> things that affected him internally and then as he looked outwardly. Now, before we get to that. <coughs> Psalm 119. Um, it's not a new thought with me, and I haven't followed it completely through, but, you know, I've heard others refer to this psalm as the Aleph Tav, right? It starts with Aleph, goes to Tav, uh, paralleling to the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, am I right on this? And therefore that this psalm, to what degree, I'm not sure, encapsulates and gives us uh, uh, a perspective on Yeshua. Is that right? Am I right on this? Okay, so, I don't know how all that fits 
And, you know, I didn't really have this mindset of looking at it, although I've read Psalm 119 many, many times, of Olaf Tav, duh! You know, because that's where 119 gets its, its name, right? 119 Ministries, because it's Olaf Tav, and it's a, it's, it's a picture or encapsulates, I'm not putting words in their mouth, I don't remember what they said, but, you know, we look at Psalm 119, you see Alpha and Omega, Olaf and the Tav, and so we see Yeshua in this, okay? Am, am I, I'm asking you, so I'm right so far in this, right? Okay, now, because this is new to me, and... <clears throat> all right, so, can we, to some degree, say that this psalm is about Yeshua, to some degree, right? Right, okay. Now, <clears throat> excuse me, I got this stupid cold thing or whatever. Um, <clears throat> so, therefore, you cannot separate the Torah and Yeshua, because this this psalm, and we're going to look at very quickly, all the references, verses, that it uses the word Torah in it. Which I find interesting, especially me coming out of the Christianity mindset. You know, oh no, the Torah is kind of bad. No, no, we're free from the Torah. Then to come to find out the Torah is all over the place in this. And if this psalm is talking about Yeshua, then you cannot separate Yeshua and Torah because Yeshua was the Torah made flesh. Right? So, to yeah. me, I'm, this is, you know, nothing new to any of you guys, but to me, looking at it through this new lens that, okay, this book is all filled with Yeshua, Psalm 119 is filled with Yeshua, every section except one mentions the Torah, and then repeatedly there's all these other nine or eight or nine words that refer basically to the same thing. And so Yeshua did not come to destroy the Torah or the prophets. He came to carry out fulfillment. And in some ways, he came to carry out this picture in words of him that is encapsulated in Psalm 119 as an Aleph Tav. <laughs> it's glorious. So, I want to just call to your attention, because this was just mind-boggling to me. First time I've done this, but I went through... And thought, you know, I'm seeing law, the word law, all over the place. So I punched in Torah and underlined in red all the verses that have Torah. <coughs> so I just want to read them and then we'll get into the message, maybe, because I don't want to speak forever. Um, all right, so so just hang with me, because I, I just think this is awesome. In every section except one, and what is that section? Um, uh, oh, verses 9 through 16 do not have Torah, the word Torah in it. And I don't know why, and there has to be a reason for that. It's not, you know, it wasn't like, oops, I forgot to put it in when I was writing this. So, but every other section than that has Torah in it, all right? So, just, so first one is verse 1, and it starts off with, Blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the Torah of Yehovah. All right, then verses 9 through 15 don't have it. Uh, verse 18, open thou mine eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of thy Torah. Uh, verse, if I, I may skip some, but I'm trying to catch them. Verse 29, remove from me the way of lying and grant me thy Torah graciously. I told mom when we were reading through this, uh, Judy, that I think this is interesting. Oh, the, the New Testament's all grace. Torah's all law. But here you have, grant me thy Torah graciously. You have Torah and grace together. Right there. <clears throat> all right, uh, 34. Give me understanding and I shall keep thy Torah. Yea, I shall observe it with my whole heart. Poor guy, he didn't know it was going to be done away with. 
verse 44, So shall I keep thy Torah continually forever and ever. Uh, 51, The proud have had me greatly in derision, yet have I not declined from thy Torah. 53, Horror hath taken hold of me. I love this verse. Horror hath taken hold upon me because of the wicked that forsake thy Torah. I like that. I like his response. I have remembered thy name, O Yehovah, in the night, and have kept thy Torah. 61. The bands of the wicked have robbed me, but I have not forgotten thy Torah. Uh, 70. Their heart is as fat as grease, but I delight in thy law. 72. <clears throat> the law of thy mouth is better unto me than thousands of gold and silver. I mean, this is a treasure we hold in our hands. Uh, 77. Let thy tender mercies come unto me, that I may live, for thy Torah is my delight. He didn't say it's a burden. 92. Uh, let's see. Oh, uh, 85. Uh, the, oh, did I? No, the proud have digged pits for me, which are not after thy Torah. 92. Unless thy Torah had been my delights, I should then have perished in mine affliction. 97. Oh, how I love thy Torah. It's my meditation all the day. <coughs> and don't you find this interesting? I mean, <coughs> how much he... Just, I don't want to preach this all over again. Uh, 109. My soul is continually in my hand, yet do I not forget thy Torah. 113, I hate vain thoughts, but thy Torah do I love. Uh, 126, it is time for the Yehovah to work, for they have made void thy Torah. Uh, 136, rivers of waters run down mine eyes, because they have not kept thy Torah. 142, thy righteousness is an everlasting righteousness, and thy Torah is the truth. Uh, 150, they draw, they draw nigh that follow after mischief, but they are far from thy Torah. Uh, let's see here, uh, 153. Consider mine affliction and deliver me, for I do not forget thy Torah. And let's see. Uh, 163. I hate and abhor lying, but thy Torah do I love. 65165. Grant peace. Uh, great peace have they which love thy Torah, and nothing shall offend them. And 174. I have longed for thy salvation, O Yehovah. Thy Torah is my delight. <laughs> it doesn't seem like this guy was burdened down by the Torah, right? It, I mean, the Torah was his life. The Torah was what he drew sustenance from. <coughs> it enabled him to go through everything. <coughs> and then <coughs> you take all the other words that are the words, statutes, precepts, commandments, it's all saying the same thing. But to me, what was fascinating was this focus through all of this on the Torah. And if this is the Aleph Tav, the uh, Alpha and Omega, and Yeshua was a Torah made flesh and he told us he didn't come to do away with it, then something's wrong with our conception of the law. It's not a burden. It's not heavy. It's not hard. It's just that we forgot to notice that you have granted us your Torah graciously. That wedded together are the Torah and grace. You can't separate them 
<coughs> or you're going to be headed for dilution, which is a state of the Messianic movement and a state of Christianity and a state of our country and a state of the world. You take away grace from Torah and Torah from grace, you are left with nothing. And it dissolves into chaos and confusion. <sighs> now, I want to just go a little further on this idea of Yeshua. Now, <coughs> excuse me. Go to John fourteen six. Keep your finger in Psalm one nineteen. We'll be back real soon. Now, what I'm going to give you is all me. I tried to find somebody else who talked about this, mentioned this. <coughs> so the disclaimer is, this is all me. And I'm always nervous because it may re be revealing my ignorance, but we're going to go anyway. One, for me, one of the greatest verses that I've been able to use in witnessing and talking to people who are skeptics, that doubt, don't believe, is John 14, 6, which says, uh, let me get to it, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. I mean, that is... Such a bold statement. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and you're not getting to the Father unless you come through me. My gosh, it cannot be any clearer than that. I mean, that's a hinge pin for me. And and I've used it. I said, listen, either Yeshua, uh, Jesus, because in the past, Yeshua, Jesus, either he's telling us the truth or he is the biggest liar ever and we need to either follow him wholeheartedly or just get rid of him because he's a crazy lunatic. He just can't go walking around saying, hey, by the way, everybody, I'm the way, the truth, the life. You're not getting to God the Father unless you go through me. You can't go around saying that unless you are a, a lunatic or you're the Savior. All right. <clears throat> now, it's always, this is where I couldn't find anybody say anything in, in the... the the research I've done, <coughs> I've always wondered, why did he use these phrases? You know, was it just, you know, it just happened to occur to him at the time and he needed a good snappy answer to those that he was talking to? And let me think about this. Oh, yeah, I can get him this way. Or is there some basis for saying the way, the truth, and the life? So that dawned on me when we get to it about truth in this Psalm 119. That, because... Nothing in the scriptures is, is by chance. God gave us what he wanted us to have. And there's a reason, you know, he says certain things. And Paul says certain things. And Peter says certain things. And James. There's a basis back here someplace in that other half of the Bible. You know, we come to it like, oh, wow, this is revolutionary. He's telling them something new. He's the way, the truth, and the life. Well, I don't know, I think if, if Psalm 119 is giving us a, in, to some degree a pictorial of Yeshua, I got wondering, you know, because you've had it happen, it's like you read something, it's like, oh, and then you're in the, Old, in the New Testament, then you're in the Old Testament, like, wait a minute, oh, that's why it was said, that's why Paul said it, that's why he quoted it, because it was back there. All right, so, 
is there anything in Psalm 119 that's telling us? If this is a psalm about Yeshua, did Yeshua, is he trying to say, you guys are supposed to know this already? Nicodemus, you're supposed to know this already. Well, how come? You, you're telling us new stuff, Jesus. How come I should know this? Because it's back there. So when he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, I just have to wonder if he's saying, you know what, the Olive Tav, Psalm 119, I'm all over the place in it. All right, so, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Uh, let's see. So, back to Psalm 119, verse 1. Uh, verse one. I'm connecting this with Torah in these verses, all right? Uh, blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the Torah. So, I am the way. You know, this is all simple me, but I'm. I, here's the Torah made flesh saying, hey, you know, I'm telling you right off the bat, I am the way. I'm the Torah. <laughs> I'm representing the Father. All right? I am the way. Uh, verse 142. Thy righteousness is an everlasting righteousness, and thy law is truth. I am the way, the truth. John 17, uh, 17, 17. Um, Sanctify them through thy word. Thy word is truth. He's not just coming up with this random stuff. And he's not just talking. You know, he's not coming along and saying, oh, guys, this is all brand new stuff because I'm starting something new. Oh, I am the Torah. I am the truth. And then the last one, life, uh, verse 77 let thy tender mercies come unto me that I may live, for thy law is my delight. Uh, the word here for live, it's, it's, it's the root word for, for life. He's, he's telling him, I'm the way of life. Uh, let thy tender mercies come unto me that I may live, have life, because there's life in the Torah, for thy Torah is my delight. So when Yeshua says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, I have to believe that if I was living then or we were living then and we were students of the scriptures and we knew Psalm 119 and we've been taught this all our life in the synagogue about this stuff and he comes along <coughs> and he starts randomly saying, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Either he, He's not doing this by accident. There's connections he wants them to see. And so... If Psalm 119 is a picture of Yeshua, and Yeshua is a way to truth and the life, then I think there may be a connection to this psalm, and this makes the psalm incredibly powerful. Because Christianity loves Psalm 119, right? We, we, they love it. This verse, that verse, how, you know, just all these verses. Well, how come we can accept those things, but we don't want the others? And if you could see law and grace together in Yeshua in this psalm, we have to start somehow seeing connections backwards. And then it becomes alive. You know, so we're not just reading words on a paper. We're reading, you know, this is so cool because if you can think, Yeshua is Psalm 119, made in the flesh, right? Yeshua is, is uh, Genesis through Malachi, made flesh. He's actually Matthew through Revelation made flesh. He, he's all of it. 
And to me, that's the beauty of all of this. It's just so... My, my mind is just so enraptured by this stuff. You know, that's part of the blessing, being in this Hebraic, Messianic mindset, minus the garbage all around us that's in it, to start seeing the connecting of the dots. And the book, it just unfolds. It's, it's like that flower, that rose that's all closed up, but petal by petal, it just starts to open up. And all of a sudden, you have this gorgeous thing starting to blossom. That's just beautiful. And your heart breaks because the rest of the people are walking around with the buds. Right? They're just It's not opened up. And, and, and I want more of it to open up. And I, that's what's been so fascinating about reading, finally, with a Hebraic mindset that I am an Israelite. This is mine. It's all alive. It's forever. And it's not been done away with. The problem is, <clears throat> because of our forefathers and because of us, we're living in a diaspora and it's just a disaster. Because we can't live it all out. I mean, we cannot, <clears throat> you know, every evening during the Feast of Tabernacles have its offering, right? The, the offering, whatever it's supposed to be. Well, that's supposed to be part of it. An offering by fire, right? Isn't that what it says? Now, <clears throat> It should, and I think it's happening, that because we can't do these things as we should, you know, as Corey was saying yesterday, when he's <coughs> working on his uh, sukkah, getting it finally up, and what did you say? Something like, God must be just up in heaven, just laughing at us. <laughs> Not really, but you know what I'm saying? You have to think, you know... Rather than say, no schmucks, look at them. It must bring him joy. That we're just, just stumbling along at this, right? But, on the other hand, because we long for this, though we try to find joy in these feasts, there has to be a heaviness in the sense that we're longing for our Savior to come back. We're tired of the diaspora. We don't want another generation to have to suffer because of our sins and the sins of the fathers. We, we want our hearts to start, the hearts of the fathers to be turned back, right? To the ways of God, but turned back to our children and children to say, yes. Because that's the preparation of the bride for Yeshua to come back. So we want them to come. It's only half an hour. Okay, so let's see if we can get through this. So, as I was looking at this psalm, I noticed some of the but-I responses. And <laughs> so we're going to look at those and then add some other verses that, that give support. Uh, so we're going to look at the but-I responses of the psalmist. So first off, I, I, I just tried to lump them as I saw. First off, the but-I's in relation to himself. So look at verse 161. You know, and try to think how you would respond. Because this was convicting to me and enlightening. Because this is real life stuff. You know, for me, <laughs> I think why it's so impress I'm so uh it's so impressionable on me is 
I grew up in the beginning of this modern Christian movement, which basically says, you know, God's going to take care of everything. The Joel Olstein mindset, he wants you happy, wealthy, never sick, you know, no problems. He came to just fix it all. You know, I grew up in that, the beginning of it up till now. <clears throat> but that's not real. I'm just here to tell you it's not real. Otherwise, just rip out all the Psalms, right? So, this is real life. <clears throat> I want you to look at verse um, 61. The bands of the wicked have robbed me. So, how does he respond? But I have not forgotten thy law. Now, somehow, some way, these people have surrounded him and have taken something away from him. I don't know if it necessarily has to be physical things, but he's something is being sucked away from him, taken away from him because of all these that are surrounded, surrounding him, that are these bands, these companies, these groups of people. You know, he's been robbed. Now, <laughs> I we've been robbed. I know Coy, you've been robbed. I don't know, have you ever been robbed in your house? You know it's it's a or of anything it's a horrible feeling to be robbed i can remember as a kid growing up came home and poof, our house been, had been robbed doors are open stuff drawers are open stuff has been gone through it's a horrible feeling and and you just after you get over your fear of all this and what has really happened you want retribution you know then when we got married come back from our honeymoon i think it was you know, our <laughs> and I had been living in the house while we were in school. I had started renting it so we could have it when we were married. We come, we go away on our honeymoon and uh, come back. Were we robbed twice there? We were broken into twice in the house. <laughs> you know, <clears throat> the, yeah, because the first time we we didn't do much about it. The second time the person had eaten cookies and left a note. And thanked us for the cookies and left it on the table. All right, this is war now, buddy. And I ended up finding out that by doing my own detective work that it was the kid next door. He tried to implicate his friend. I didn't have anything to do with it. The stuff that was ours that I found in his house. Um, oh, no, my friend gave it to me. We'll turn, come find out. It was the kid. And, <coughs> um, but... To, how, to respond. How do you respond now that you know this who the person is? Well, it's, it's a difficult thing to go through a situation and be robbed, but I like what he did. His response. Where was it? 61. The bands of the wicked have robbed me, but I have not forgotten thy Torah. That's just so cool. I don't know what to do with that and how he comforted himself. But he didn't blame God. He didn't get mad at God. He didn't think life was unfair. He didn't want to sit there and wonder, why, God, I thought you were going to protect me. I'm your child. No. He went to the, to the Torah. I mean, I think partly you're saying you can have everything taken away. Be robbed of everything. But as we already read, this book is more precious than... Yes. Right? And so everything was maybe stripped away of importance physically for him, whatever, however it was. But he had this book. He had the Torah. You know, he could go to that. 
the last possession. As long as he had that, and as long as he'd been hiding it in his heart, then he's rich. It's interesting, if you go up to Hebrews chapter 10, I uh, put this connection to this because this was very real time experience <coughs> for these Hebrews in their life as, as persecution was bearing down some on them. And we're told they hadn't resisted to the point of bloodshed yet, but they're going through difficult times. So Hebrews 10, verse 32, but call to remembrance, uh, but, but call to remembrance of former days in which after you were illuminated, ye endured a great fight of afflictions. And the word afflictions in Psalm 119 a lot. Partly whilst ye were made a gaze in stock, both by reproaches and afflictions, and partly whilst ye became companions of them that were so used. For ye had compassion of me in my bonds, and here it is, and took joyfully the spoiling of your goods, knowing in yourselves that ye have in heaven a better and enduring substance. See, they weren't living to amass everything. <laughs> oh, I've got to be careful here, but they were not the generation of now that were just living to get material possessions upon possessions upon possessions upon possessions <coughs> and that being the source of happiness, joy, and fulfillment. Because it says, this is mind-blowing, you took joyfully the spoiling of your goods, knowing in yourselves, see it's in here, and I believe it's Torbay's, Ye have in heaven a better and enduring substance. So cast not away, therefore, your confidence, which hath great recompense. For ye have need of patience that after ye have done the will of God, ye might receive the promise for yet a little while, and he shall come that will come, will come, and not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith. But if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. <laughs> good stuff. So how did these Hebrews take joyfully the spoiling of their goods? Well, possibly, maybe they knew verse 61, the bands of the wicked have robbed, have robbed me, but I've not forgotten thy Torah. I have, above all else, this enduring substance in heaven. The word, the Torah. That was made flesh. All right. So, in relation to himself, he was robbed. The second one, verse 69. Now, this is a tough one. The proud have forged a lie against me, but I will keep thy precepts with my <coughs> whole heart. So he was lied about. The proud, uh, the proud have forged a lie against me, but I will keep thy precepts with my whole heart. A couple more verses with this. Verse 78. Let thy tender mercies, uh, sorry, let the proud be ashamed, for they dealt perversely without, uh, with me without a cause, but I will meditate in thy precepts. Um, let's see here, where am I? Uh, verse 85. The proud have digged pits for me, which are not after thy Torah. Again, the proud forging these lies. 122. Be surety for thy servant for good. Let not the proud oppress me. 
So these prideful, arrogant people who were not really interested in understanding him, but rather wanted to take him down, went around forging lies. And they lied about him. I, I, I hate being lied about. <clears throat> that happened in one place where I worked. Um, uh, I was... I, I, was to, I went in and cleaned the shop early, and nobody was there. <coughs> so this foreman that we had, after I'd been doing it, started calling. I think I told you a story. We first started calling early. You know, I was supposed to be there at 6. Nobody else got there till 7.38 or whatever. So 6.02, 6.01, I started getting these phone calls from, from, the, from the floor supervisor. Oh, yeah, hey, you know, we're supposed to get this shipment in in case it comes before. So this happened three times, and I was there all the time. Well, then one day, one of the owner's sons pulls me into his, uh, into where his office area, his desk, and says, Hey, you know, Pete's been telling me that, you know, you've been getting here and sleeping, and you've not been doing any work or any cleaning. I said, What are you talking about? I said, I come here and I clean the whole thing. I don't sleep. Anybody that knows me knows I can't sleep unless I'm... It's, I'm supposed to be sleeping. And I was ripping mad. I was lied about. I don't know that my responses were like the psalmists. <laughs> you know, I mean, and I, <coughs> I <coughs> pursued it, found out why. And it's because he had been stealing from the company. I was a pastor, a Christian. He was trying to get me out of there so that he and this other fellow that were stealing would have free... Rain, I went back to the boss and said, you don't know what's going on here. You need to talk to this person and find out. Well, sure enough, next day, fired. And then one of the guys that had been there from the beginning started calling me One Punch Warren. Don't mess with him. One punch, he'll take you out. Well, I don't know that I wanted to be remembered that way. It feels good. <laughs> but when you're lied about, I mean, that's really getting personal. You know, I mean, <clears throat> it's one thing to be robbed, because that's just stuff. But now, to be lied about, that's robbery of who, who you are and what you are. How do we respond when those proud people want to take you down and forge lies about you and shred your name and speak evil of you? I have to tell you, my first thing isn't to find solace in the Torah. <laughs> I, my mind doesn't automatically flip back to, oh yeah, Psalm 119. Somebody else has been lied about too. How did they do it? No! And this is part of not being controlled anymore by the external, internal things in my life. But to have a biblical, Torah-based mindset and lifestyle of response to this stuff first. Not like I normally do it. All right, the third part of this last one. He felt threatened. His life was threatened, verse 95. Uh, the wicked have waited for me to destroy me, but I will consider thy testimonies. This is more, as we'll see, I think, than just being destroyed with lies. He felt that his very life was threatened. He had been robbed, he had been lied about, Maybe none of that's working. Now we're going to get him physically. Um, verse 83. Some verses that kind of give us a thought. I like this one. I don't know how to explain it really. It says, For I am become like a bottle in the smoke, yet 
do I not forget thy statutes? Now, I only <laughs> looked into this a little bit, but one source said this is probably talking about the, <clears throat> the wineskin bottles made out of, of animal hide that were hung in the tents and possibly because of the heat and maybe the smokes, uh, these started to shrivel up and die a little bit and get discolored. You know, so you can see this, this beautiful piece of leather that's full of life now just getting all the moisture and life sucked out of it and now it turns to, it shrivels in on itself and kind of looks like a grape all distorted um and that's what he's saying uh, he felt like about his his life i am become like like one of those those bottles that you've all seen that have dried out and shriveled up and started to change color i'm like a bottle in the smoke yet i do not forget thy statutes that's convicting so he felt his life was in constant jeopardy, 109. My soul is continually in my hand, yet I do not forget thy law, 110. The wicked have laid a snare for me, yet I erred not from thy precepts. So my soul, my life is in my hand constantly. I'm not forgetting your law. The wicked, they're trying to take me in these traps to bring me down, yet I'm not erring from your precepts. I'm not damn it, convicted. 143. Trouble and anguish have taken hold on me, yet thy commandments are my delights. You know, how do you respond when there's trouble and anguish overwhelming you, taking you down? I'm going to find delight in your commandments, God. This is so not me, us, right? Uh, 157. Many are, my many are my persecutors and mine enemies, yet do I not decline from thy testimonies. And then 161. I mean, it goes all the way up to the top. Princes have persecuted me without a cause, but my heart, but, but my heart standeth in awe of thy word. Does anybody see that we're not really fleshing out our Christian walk like we should be? Or could be? Even want to be? Because when our, our cup is jostled, what comes out? I'm telling you, for me, lots of times my first thought is not to go back and find comfort in the Word, come to God in prayer, seek Yeshua in His wisdom and strength. It's a fleshly response rather than a spiritual response. But this guy, when he responds, I mean, he's robbed, he's lied about, his life is threatened all the way up to the princes, but he has a godly response. All right, now, in relation to his observations, we're getting to the end here. Verse 70, so now it's off so much of him, but now he's gazing around. And what's he see around him? Verse 70. Their heart is as fat as grease, those around him. But I delight in thy Torah. So he's talking about these people that have fat, greased hearts. In other words, they have hearts that are dull and callous. They're, they're obstinate against the truth. And he sees them all around him. Their hearts as fat as grease. They, <coughs> they have dull and callous hearts that are obstinate against the truth. You know, so be it. I'm going to delight in your law. I'm going to delight in your Torah. You know, I, it's part of what I've been struggling with. 
I just see these callous, dull hearts that are obstinate to the truth in the lost world and in the Christian world. And I've allowed it to just kind of ah, weigh me down because you look around and you're seeing people that are standing in defiance to the word of God. Okay, so be it. I'm going to delight in the Torah. I'm going to live it out. I'm going to be a lamp in the midst of the darkness. I'm not going to be brought down. Yes, I look around and our country's a disaster. The world's a disaster. Christianity's a disaster. Messianic movement's a disaster. I mean, it's all <coughs> just kind of <coughs> deteriorating. But I'm going to delight in the Torah. You know, and that's what I've tried to do and started to do. You know, I work where, at a place where there's very open homosexuals. Oh, it's like, oh, I didn't know how to deal with that. I just felt dirty, needed to go home and take a bath. Not that I'm a saint. But you know what I'm saying? When it's that open and they're kissing right there. Amongst everybody. You know, I just wanted to quit and say, I'm not going to live in this, work in this environment. No, this is so evil and wicked and rotten. And I look at my own life. So, okay, Warren, be careful here. You know, you're, you know, ah. Okay, but then what's my purpose? To be light. To delight in the Torah and get the message out to them. That's why we're here. But as we look around, we have to have the proper biblical response. Um, all right, so <coughs> he, he looked around and saw fat, greased hearts. Second, uh, one thirteen. I hate vain thoughts, but thy Torah do I love. This is so cool. You know, <coughs> I wonder why vain went with thoughts, and vain is, is in italics, and the word thought, it has to do with, well, it has to do with vacillation. Uh, maybe like a double-minded person, or a person that can't make up their mind. So I was looking up the word just in English, vain. And, and, and it's not just empty or, or vanity. We think of vain as empty it, it, the word also means producing no results. The Oxford Dictionary says the word vain means producing no results. So he, what, what he's saying is, I look around and I see those that are producing not the results of the Torah. And I hate that. I, I hate those that are ambivalent towards the things of God. And that's exactly what he's saying. One source said, vain thoughts are the thoughts of people who cannot make up their minds between good and evil. But when it comes to obeying God, there's no middle ground. You must take a stand. No middle ground. We are stuck in the mire of middle ground in our lives and in our Christianity and, and the Messianic movement. We're, we're all, we are all God, we're, we're not hot or cold. We're lukewarm. And the psalmist says, I hate this stuff. I hate, I hate obstinacy and, I mean, ambivalence to the things of God. Producing no results. You know, God tells us in Revelation, you know, I would you were either hot or cold, but because you're lukewarm, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. That makes great preaching. We used to hear preaching about that all the time in our, our fundamental churches. Well, not anymore. Because everybody's lukewarm. And we all struggle with middle ground. 
You know, take a stand. And take a stand means speaking out, living differently, allowing God to change what needs to be changed in us as we look at our lives on the Day of Atonement and say, God, where am I going? Where am I headed? What have I done? What needs to be changed? How can I be more like Yeshua? Fat greased hearts, vain thoughts. The last one, 163. Actually, making through this. 163. I hate and abhor lying, but thy Torah do I love. Lying. He hates lying. Well, what's his response to that? Yeah, everybody else can lie. I'm going to go back to the Torah because that's the truth. Maybe he struggled with lying. I'm not going to lie anymore. I'm going to go back to the Torah and live the truth. You know, my dad was real big on hating lying. I mean, he was big on this, and I'm grateful for it. Interesting as you get older and find out about your parents. <clears throat> but probably because of his own life, he didn't want me to become living a... Yeah, i got to be careful here, but anyway. So he worked hard on us kids not lying. And I'm so grateful for that. Not that I don't lie and, and, and aren't tempted to lie, but blah, lying doesn't come easy because all I can remember is dear old dad and all the patterns I got. And I'm grateful for that, actually. You know, lying, it's so easy to lie. We deceive ourselves. We're deceptive to ourselves. We kind of, because we're stuck in this ambivalence of our own Christian existence, we're just kind of, tell ourselves half-truths, and so since there's half-truth, then it's okay. You know, Captain, we need to at least live like Captain Picard. You know, truth, that's not, I forget how he said it. Um, oh, oh, it's a great episode, but basically, you know, telling half the truth is still a lie. Yeah, a lie of omission is still a lie. Even if you haven't committed it, it's still a lie. We're big on commission, you know, the actions, but how about the things of omission. We have to take ownership for the things that we're omitting and to not take ownership and to claim differently is, a, is as much of a lie as the things of commission. And the psalmist, you know, we, we struggle with this word hate. You know, you know, hate's a good word. I hate in a poor line. Hate. I'm not going to back down from this word and try to smooth it over. That is the opposite of love and all this crap. It's hate. I'm getting too wound up here. So, so I had this experience on the, on the bus the other day. I'm driving. And you're not school bus. So you're not supposed to change seats. <clears throat> and this was with the younger kids. I look in the mirror. No, so I'm driving around, and sometimes I don't always watch the mirror because I'm trying to drive, and sometimes, you know, the kids know. I look up, okay, now's the time to, to move seats. So <laughs> one of the kids told me, hey, she moved her seat. Mentioned her name. So I get on the intercom. Actually, she had been almost right behind me. Now she's back about eight, ten seats sitting over there on the other side of the aisle. So I call her Sally. I get out of the thing, I'm looking at her. Sally! She looks. Did you move your seat? No. Straight face. And then the kid behind me said, she was sitting right here. She was sitting right here. And I said, Sally, you lied to me, you were disobedient, and you've done wrong. 
but to just, you know, just, no. I, I was so tickled on the inside, I was so amused by it. Just straight face, no. I want to say, how can you say that? You just walked from there to there. You know you were there, now you're here and you're going to sit there and say, no. With his angelic face. Lying. So I'm trying to teach her what you just did was a lie. You disobeyed and you did wrong. These kids have to start being taught stuff because the psalmist and God hates lying. All right, now, all of that, and we're going to end up with the last verse. And I, and I love this. And as Judy and I read this on uh, Yom Kippurim, the whole psalm. You come, it's, this is a great psalm. And you're just filled with hope. I mean, it's section after section after section. It's things are just going so great. And, and I'm, I'm expecting we're going to go off on a crescendo here. You know, we're just going to sail with hope. Well, how does he end it? I've gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek thy servant for I do not forget thy commandments. I, you know, every time I read it, I don't expect that verse to pop up to me like it does because I was you just told me all this great stuff. You mean, you're supposed to say, yeah, I used to go straight, but not as much anymore because uh, I'm your servant and because I don't forget your commandments. Man, it's just been a great uphill climb. But the comforting truth is we are human. And it's a struggle. And it's not always uphill. There's valleys. There's dips. There's defeats. But it's how are you going to proceed? Well, you have to go back to verse 1 because this is like the, the snake eating its tail. Is that right? You know, the circle. It's, this is a revolving. One Psalm 119 is a revolving door because you start out with blessed are the undefiled in the way you, who walk in the Torah of, of Yehovah. Great news. I've gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek thy servant for I do not forget thy commandments. Well, now what do I do? You go back to verse 1. Psalm 119 is a life journey and it's going to be repeated. It's a causality loop. You, you know, you're going to go through it and through it and through it and through it. That's just life. And it's when we get to our failures that we start to climb again. And it's, 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 it is an incline because we are being more conformed to Yeshua because the word says that's going to happen. It is happening. It has to happen. We don't see the journey uphill lots of times, but it is. It's a plateau. It's those switchbacks on uh, the Grand Canyon. You're making them, uh, walking flat, you're making another rise, flat again. But you're making progress. That's Psalm 119. So you read Psalm 119 year after year after year after year, and you go back, and if it happens to be on Yom Kippurim, you say, whew, you know what? Yeah, I'm still living with Psalm 119, but not like I did last year or the year before. I'm climbing. I'm reaching the top, becoming more like Yeshua. I see and recognize the changes. Why? Because your tour is my delight. I love this book. It keeps me on the straight and narrow. Even when I dip and go astray, <sighs> Seek me, I'm your sheep. Let's start all over. Let me start again. Because that's what it is. That's what, that's what it is. <sighs> Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Just for blessing me, and hopefully I can be a blessing, was a blessing to whoever ends up hearing this um, about Psalm 119, the Olive Tav, 
the Torah lived out and how it's impacting and interweave in our lives so that as we live this life, we, we will have some but-I responses that bring glory to you because we seek the source of our strength, uh, this written book, the Torah. And so I thank you, Father, and bless you in Yeshua's name.